Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mid Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. 57-year-old Peter Sinclair trains a team of 20 horses at Moree in the Black Soil Plains district of northern New South Wales. Although situated some distance from other major centres, Moree has always been a great racing town and continues to stage six or seven meetings a year. Peter, however, has to travel extensively to other meetings in the region. Peter Sinclair is very proud of the fact that he is a fourth-generation trainer in his hometown and equally proud that he's been able to uphold the winning tradition of his forebears. He had two short stints as a jockey and actually outrode his country claim before increasing weight put an end to his riding aspirations. In the early part of his training career, he enjoyed spectacular success on the picnic circuit but soon got serious about registered racing and hasn't looked back. His tigerish appetite for hard work is reflected in the fact that for more than 40 years he's combined racing with his full-time job as a Telstra technician. That means starting early to get the team worked before reporting for duty at the Telstra depot and usually returning to the stables after work. Peter Sinclair joins us on the podcast to talk about life as a trainer in Moree. Pete, great to have you on board. Thanks for joining us on a Sunday morning. Uh, great to be here. Good morning, John. How early do you kick in? Uh, we, we get up at four, just get to the track at four and, and, um, yeah, and go on from there. You've always tried to keep the team around 20 horses. Does that still apply? Yeah, yeah, 20 is a great number because, I mean, you've obviously got – Horses coming through all the time, and um, as you know, like it's a game of numbers. The more horses you got, the more chance you have of getting a good one. Yeah, you know, before you start saddling up ready for track work, some of your ground staff have already fed the team and mucked out 20 boxes. Now, there's a lady there who you'd have to say is the, the backbone of the place, Amy Williams. She's the prime mover in that department. That's correct, John. Yeah, she she's been with me for a few years now, and I mean, it's it's everyone's a lot of people have great staff, but geez, I'm blessed with the staff that I've got, and mm. um, she just does a great job. Like you could, you could, the old adage, you could go away for a month, and no one wouldn't, no one would even know I wasn't there. Oh, you're being too modest. Now you've got three other capable girls there: uh, Terry, Talia, and Kira. You'd be yep. battling to get a word in, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was strange because the the other the two younger ones, Terry and Talia, started at the same time, and I and I thought I it, you should never employ two 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 young ladies with the same the first name with the same letter T yeah. because I used for the first month I was getting Terry and Talia <laughs> back to front. Yeah, yeah. Now your lovely wife Jenny does the afternoon shift, and she too was a key figure in the organisation. Yeah, Jen, she comes over every afternoon after we have – she babysits our little granddaughter, Koa, mm. and then she comes over when she finishes that. And and then also my daughter, Georgie, Georgia, she um she helps me with all my all my bookwork and mm. keeps me in line. Mm. 
You're spoiled rotten, aren't you? Oh, yeah, very, as I said, I'm very lucky. <laughs> you need everything to go like clockwork in the mornings because you and your apprentice, young Jacob Golden, ride all the track work between you and you've got to get through 20 horses before you head off to your job as a Telstra technician. Somehow you manage it. Yeah, yeah, it's no worries. As I said, it, it just, as I said, we just because we've got, we've got great, people with us and it just all just runs really smooth, you know. Jacob's Jacob's going great since he come there. He's he's um he can ride, you know, pretty much anything now. I, mm. I sort of stick to a bit of some of the ones that are a bit more finical mm. or a bit harder. But um yeah, and then if we're running late, Jake just rides two or three after I go with Amy and they mm. know what they're doing. Now tell me about young Jacob Golden, Peter. You got him from the mid north coast. You lured him from the coast. Yeah, well, actually, it was Shane Cullen um, rang me up and said to me, asked me, he told me I needed to take an apprentice. I hadn't had an apprentice for a fair few years, mm-hmm. um, and I sort of he asked me, rang up and asked me. He said he just he said he's a great little young fella, very mm-hmm. good worker, and he was with Jenny Graham, um, and he said could I take him for a while and see how we go? And he come across, and and Jenny done a great job with him. He's he's come across to me with a very good manner mm-hmm. and a very very good work ethic. Mm. And obviously comes out of the the class of no for no horses in the family whatsoever. Mm. Um, but he's going really good. He'll he's he just needs to fine tune a few things as they all do. And mm. but he'll make it. He'll make a nice jockey in the future. And mm. and he's lucky. He's lucky. He's got weight on his side. He's only a light little fella. Oh, that's good news. Now, Pete. Once upon a time, you'd report to the Telstra depot in Moree to get your job roster for the day. But that's all changed now. You simply log into your computer tablet to find out where you've got to go and what you've got to do. Give me an outline of a typical day in your role as a technician. Yeah, well, it's all changed just recently because we were doing like the NBN in Moree, which was typically all day in Moree connecting or fixing like all the NBN services. Uh, but then they didn't apply for the contract at the end of May, so uh, now we've gone back that, that we've gone back to what we used to be because uh, it was just all full on with the NBN. Where now we're basically just fixing all the copper lines out of town, mm. and it's amazing the distances. Like we'll I'll, I'll log on and I'll get three or four jobs each day mm. if they're a fair part, fair distance apart, mm. and I get one at Mungandai, which is an hour and a half away mm. from from Moree. And then the second job I'll have is at Narrabri, which is an hour south of Moree. So mm. you spend a lot of time driving nowadays just to get the job done. Mm. You're one of only three trainers who use the Moree Racecourse. The others are Doug Fernando and Peter Blanche. Are they stabled on course? Uh, Doug has. Doug's got stables on course and Peter Blanche trains on a property um, out east of Moree. And travels in a couple of days a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you tell me the Maury Club looks after its trainers very, very well. What galloping facilities have you got there? How many tracks? Uh, yeah, we've got, like, we have, um, like, an, a wet weather cinders track inside and then we have a little dirt trotting track, like, you know, 1,200 metres around it inside mm. and then we have our, what we call the big dirt track. It's around the inside of the, the grass track. And as you've seen on television and everyone else knows, Moree is one of the best country tracks you'll find. It's such a big, even track um, with a great run in. And you can get a, like it's got a, from the 800 to the 500, you've got a bit of a straight along there. So you get, you can, and your 950 metre run has only got one corner. Mm. It's it's a great track. And, And we get to work on that pretty much most Tuesdays if weather permitting. Mm. And you've got the use of a great swimming channel. Yeah, well, actually, that was that was due to my dad. Um, when when Phil was training um, back in, I couldn't tell you what year we he done it, but mm. he trained for some uh, like earthworks people with those big scrapers. They dig all the big dams and stuff with, mm. and decided we wanted to put a pool in, so he got permission off the race club. So uh, Merv Rumble actually still he trains out in the wet out um in the west. Mm. He, he's still training. He he actually they dug the big hole in the ground 
And yeah. and we used to just fill it up with all the boil water because we're lucky. I said Moree's never been on water restrictions because of our artesian water. Mm. And they used to fill the fill it, keep it topped up with that. And then here about four years ago, um, they changed the restrictions on the artesian bars. And there's a motel, mm. the artesian motel, which is just near the race course, only probably three, four hundred metres away mm. as the crow flies. And they had to move their water, so they done a deal with, with the Moya Race Club and they put a <laughs> pipe in. How good. So yeah. we, we get all their excess hot water now, and in, in the wintertime you can actually see the, the steam rising off the top of it. Uh, that would be comforting. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for years those Moree hot baths have been a mecca for people with all sorts of health problems, and it's still a tourist attraction of sorts, isn't it? Yes, oh, yeah, that they've got, like, most of the motels on the other side, like on on the southern side of Moree are owned. Um, a lot of them used to be, John, owned by, like, some new Australians, and they do tours. People come and just stay there for, you know, a week or two, mm. and they visit the bars because they're all only, most of those motels are only two or three, four hundred metres away from the hot pool, so people mm. just get out, walk up and walk back. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's been it's been a great thing, and and even all a lot of the jocks that come to ride race day, like Manny McGarren the other day, mm. they go there, they get here early and go to the pool and have a bit of a sweat and relax, yeah. and then come yeah. to the races. You got everything. Yeah, yeah. Now that artesian bore water is an absolute godsend for your course curator John Brown, who's able to water that race course every day if he needs to, and in times yes. of drought. Moree is the envy of many other race clubs. Yeah, well, that was that was um, that was like Armadale. They've, they've just, as you know, we've all gone through the drought in the last few years, and thankfully we've, we've just come out of it. But Armadale lost a few meetings because they couldn't water, and that's how fortunate we were. They moved to Moree because we could still water. Mm. Your club president is Rob Mather. Your club secretary is Michelle Gobbert. And I believe they're both available for consultation if and when the slightest little problem pops up. Yeah, they're both great. Uh, Michelle's really good. She'll give you, you know, if you ever need a bit of help with um, stuff that I can't work out when you, you know, if um, you need to do a bit of paper, like book work, and she knows she'll find it all out for you. And Robbie, mm. Robbie's great. He'll, he's, um, his family's been in my George, my, my grandfather, actually trained for Robbie's father. They had a, a really good horse called Black Todd, which won a mm. he won a Moree Cup, and um, and of course, of course, Robbie got the bug. And I've we've, I've trained horses for Robbie for years. Mm. Like James and Edward Cummings, you're a fourth generation trainer, and the dynasty was started by your great grandfather Peter, who was training horses in the early 1900s. You probably never met him. No, no, didn't meet him, John. No. Now, your good mate, Bill Poulos, who's well known in town as a coffee vendor, as a journalist and historian, has given me a fascinating piece of trivia about your great-grandfather. And you can confirm this. In the 1920s, two bandits held up the bank at Baraba. And as they rode out of town, your great-grandfather ran out of his butcher's shop to see what the commotion was all about. And according to Bill, one of the robbers pointed a pistol at Peter Sinclair, who thought for a moment he'd made his last batch of sausages. Yep, that's correct, John. And, and he told Bill told me the further of the story was that the the chap on the horse told him if he moved, he'd shoot him. Oh, so yeah. he said he just stood there. I said, I said we're probably pretty fortunate it wasn't Philip at that age in his life, but which yeah. is my father, because he probably would have said something to yeah. him, and and none of us might have been here. No, and he probably gave that bandit a complimentary pound of mince meat too, <laughs> 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 just to get him on side. Yes. Now, Pete, your grandfather was George. He died in two thousand and seven at age eighty four, and legend has it but he was a really astute horseman. He got his hands on a couple of nice ones in the 1970s and you were riding work for Grandfather from about age 14. You got to ride a pretty good horse he had by the name of Waikiki Beach and that horse did something very unusual one morning in a track gallop. 
Yes, John, we were we were galloping. Um, I'm pretty sure Noly Colvin might have been still was with the jockey alongside me, mm. and we were galloping. And and um, he bought, actually bought two horses. He bought a horse called Big Demand mm. and Waikiki Beach from both from the same place. And we galloped. They both come together. So we galloped him this morning, and Waikiki Beach got to about the 200 meter mark in a in a like little galloping, pretty like decent gallop. Mm. And he just had, he just had a pig group. Just, gracious me! Yeah, just a sign that he how easy was he going, and it turned out to fruition because he he went back to Sydney yeah. and and won a race. And it was that's look, Philip, my father, he he talks about George used to put the horses. They'd book a carriage on the train, and that's how they got to Sydney. They'd, yeah. Philip, Philip would sit in the carriage on in the back of the train with one or two horses, whatever George sent down, and they'd mm. get off in in Sydney. Yeah. It's undesirable to have them pig-rooting when you're in full flight. Uh, you don't want to see that too often, but it is a good sign, isn't it? Oh, I'd love to get one. <laughs> you would. You'd know it was going well. Yes, yes. Now, Philip was your dad. He could get a horse ready too, and he was rarely without at least one handy one. Now, you were actually apprenticed to him, but the family could see you were going to have weight problems and you actually gave it two separate shots. The first time you lasted about 18 months, you got sick of it and gave it away. Next time up, you got your weight in check and you lasted for 12 months. It just wasn't worth it, Pete, was it? No, not back then, John. I, I, it, it was, I'd done it so hard. The second time I actually got on to, I read a story and it, and it, it sort of got me um, thinking, and that's why I got back into it. Larry Olson, he had a, a brown rice diet or something. Yeah, I, yeah, from memory. Oh, that's I've read of something about that, and then I tried that for a bit, and then they got me going, and away mm. I went for twelve months. But as you know, we used to ride once a week back then, predominantly. Oh yeah, on the set, on a, just on a sad day, yep. and used to have to ride, you know, fifty-one kilos. And I could only ride 54, 55 kilos, and yeah. and that was of course the top weights. Yeah. Fifty-six was a top weight, and there was only ever one or two of them in the races back then. And mm. like nowadays, nowadays, I probably would have ridden all my life. Mm. Despite the interrupted apprenticeship, you did manage to outride your country claim, so you could obviously sit on, Pete. Oh yeah, I oh, well yeah, John. I'm not too sure about that, but I I did enjoy it, and yeah, you know, we I was I was just lucky. I had like my great. My grandfather George and and my father Philip and I still like they were two of the better trainers in the district forever mm. and 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 um, George he done it he done it full time whereas mm. Philip my father he was he was when you talk about like Telstra and and um, training horses yeah. Philip used to train horses and then go shearing for the day oh dear but that's you know, yeah. I, I, yeah I'll swap the Telstra job for that any day wouldn't you what? Um, Mm. Yeah, and and he was he was he was sort of he was a great trainer, but George was that's all George done was trained horses. Even yeah. back in those days, he didn't have another job. Which, no. but he and I still remember his horses. He could get his horses; they looked magnificent. Did they? It, yeah, yeah, and and just so well rounded, but shining like a pin, and mm. always always fit. You know. Mm. Well, three generations of your family carved out a little piece of racing history one day because not long after your training career began, you, your dad and your grandfather each trained a winner on the same Maury program. Now, if that feat has been achieved by another family, I've never heard of it. Yeah, I'm not too sure, John, whether it has or not. But, um, yeah, no, that was that was a great day and yeah, it was something always to be remembered and be proud of. Mm. Bill Poulos told me, not only did you each win a race on the day, but between you, you won the program, all six races. Yeah, yeah, George, George and Philip, I think, yeah, they won a couple each. Mm. Now, in the early part of your training career, you appeared to concentrate on the amateur circuit rather than the registered meetings, and you had a phenomenal run at the picnics for quite some time. What appealed to you so much about the picnic racing? I guess your owners enjoyed racing on the amateur circuit. Yeah, well, that's where like I had a couple of owners, Charlie Bunce and Dave Manchie and Jeff Farrer, and name a few. They they um, got horses and they loved the picnic racing 
And then I worked out that because I was only started, and, you know, um, George and Philip were still training, so I was, you know, down the ladder a fair way. So the horses I was getting weren't good enough to go to the to the registered races and, and win. So yeah. I thought I'll just target these picnic races where mm. obviously the money's not good, but I always said a, a small prize is better than no prize. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> you continued to support the picnics long after you became a regular at the registered meetings and you established a record in a race called the Boolaroo Cup, which is run at Moree. Now, the Boolaroo was first run in 1924 and it's a treasured prize for the picnickers. Now, Pete, you've won it 12 times, maybe more. Yeah, no, pretty lucky, John. And when we, we sort of, there's a, one particular, Charlie Bunce, our local vet, they have a, a and it's it's great atmosphere with the picnics. We have Charlie Bunce, they call themselves the Blue and Gold Syndicate, and then we have um, the Spot Syndicate, Campbell Roberts trains for, and they're all, you know, have a bit of a bicker at each other who's got the best horse each season. And, it, and it's it's the race most of them want to win is the Bullaroo Cup. Yeah. And then, then you move on move on to Malawar and anyone that lives out at Malawar, they want to win the Malawar Cup, you know, and it's mm. just great little rivalry. And mm. it's, you know, it's just, you know, satisfying that that's, that's their main niche, like particularly Charlie Bunce's syndicate. They only race a horse mm. once a year, and that's for the picnics. Yeah. Well, there's a very famous three-race series in your region called the Golden Triangle. Three races at three different tracks, and it's the goal of amateur horse people in northern New South Wales. What are the three tracks? Moree's one of them. Yeah, you've got, obviously, we start with Moree, then we move to Malawar, which is about pretty much, you know, 45 minutes west of Moree, and it's amazing. Look, you just go out, turn down a dirt road, and you drive down there for about 30 kilometres, and there's a, a race track in the middle of a paddock. <laughs> And and they've done an amazing job. Like it's it, there's, you know, Moree's the closest town to it, obviously. Mm. And they've got great facilities out there. And now they've put up all the big sheds and stuff. For, and they like they have pretty much like a, a part big party afterwards. Not goodness bad. knows, goodness mm. knows what time it finishes. I always come home, but <laughs> um, and it's yeah, they have they have like a good track out there, and it's just dirt track. And yeah. they only race the once a year the picnic, so it's mellow. Mm. And then we go. We go um, north of Moree out to Tormoy. It's actually a little town. It's got a pub and a shop and a few houses, and they've got a track just down the back of it. Yeah, goodness me. Well, you're very proud to have won the Golden Triangle, and if ever there was a topical tip, it was this horse. In view of all those parties you're talking about, your horse, your Golden Triangle winner, was a horse called Tapper Keg. Yeah, he was owned by owned by Dominic Neat and his wife. Yeah, um, and he was yeah he come he come to me and he, it, it was strangely enough because if you have a look at the weights that he carried, he wasn't a big horse. Um, he was a strong little fella, but he wasn't a big horse. Mm. And you wouldn't have tagged him as a picnicker when he first walked in the gate because obviously mm. all the old good old picnickers that I remember when I was younger and that that won those all those big cups were big strong horses. Mm. And but he just carried the weight so good, and he, yeah, he won he won the whole three, and it was it just got Billy Poulos as as you said he's he's mm. well known for um, for his riding and stuff as well as a lot of other things in Moree, but mm. he um, he's done a big like he done a big push for, especially after he won the second one yeah, and he done a big media push on it and sort of mm. have it like all the locals hyped up and and um, Dominic Neat from Sydney who owns him I was lucky enough that he gives me a few horses every now and then mm. he um, he actually had a winner in Sydney that day but he decided to come out to Tormoy oh. to see if he could win the third leg which he did which Good was stuff. you know yeah now Pete with Moree staging only six or seven meetings a year you've got no option but to travel. Now, let me just throw at you a few of the tracks you patronise and just tell me how long it takes you to get to these places, will you? Gundawindi. Gundawindi's only an hour and an hour and a half. Inverell? It's an hour and a half. Armadale? It's three and a half. Oh, Tamworth? Tamworth's three and a half. Scone, where you race infrequently, but you do go there from time to time. Yeah, it's it's a tip over four. Yep, Gunnedah. Gunnedah is two and a half. And Karindai. 
it's three and a half. Goodness and then, then we also will go to St. George, which they race once a year on a dirt track in Queensland. We do a bit of Queensland stuff. Toowoomba, St. Yeah. George, it'd be, it's like three hours. Toowoomba's yeah. four hours. So, you know. Yeah. Has the thought of relocating ever crossed your mind? It has, it has, and and um, but I've just I, you know, I love Maury. Maury's been good to me. My, I train I train horses, John, still for people that um, my George father, my grandfather George trained for, as in oh, families. Yeah, yeah. Um, Owens's, um, the Manchies, mm. um, Jeff Farah, like just to name a few. Morris Simsaws has been with me forever, mm. and and I mean I just I love it out here, and I just you know it's a great place. Maury's been very good to me. I uh, met my lovely wife out here and my mm. children, you know, here. Mm. My, my son's got a little uh, a, a partner and a, and a little daughter now. So, you know, it's just yeah. if, if you move away, you'll miss the best part of your life, I think. The Tab Highways have been in full swing in Sydney since 2015, but you didn't make your first appearance until last year. In fact, exactly a year ago, 1st of August 2020, now, you had two runners in the race, Liberty Head, who ran second, and Beacon, who ran fourth. So you covered Exus. Yeah, you know, it was great, John. I, and actually, I'd never been I'd never been to a race meeting past Newcastle ever in my life Good. up until that day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we took the trip down there. and Because uh, a lot of people say to me that I don't travel like, to the bigger places or that. Well, mm. I do if, if you give me a horse good enough. But yeah. Um, I mean, there's not much use going to a tab high over the horse that's, that's um, not competitive. No. And, yeah, so we took the trip down there and stayed with the Lees brothers, uh, which was they – were, they were very accommodating and we had a great few days down there. And lucky yeah. enough to we – got, we got beat comfortable in the finish with Liberty Head, but we run second and fourth, so we, mm. we paid for our trip. And, yeah, and it's just a great appetizer. I'd, as I said, I'd love to get a horse that was, you know, good enough to go back. You know, the hospitality that Jim and Greg Lee extend to visiting trainers is legendary. Uh, you've only got to ring up and uh, there's a box or two there for any visiting trainer. You were very chuffed to meet a famous ex-jockey there one day last year. Yeah, yeah, I, I was sitting, I was in there and Jimmy Cassidy walked around the corner and I, I actually, I'd, I'd, well, I was very surprised because I'd met Jimmy a few times when because he, he was... He's friends with some people at Moree that used to come and play golf a bit because mm. they. I'm not a golfer, but they tell me with that there's a really really good golf course in Moree. Mm. Um, but yeah, and and when he walked around the corner and he said g'day to me and remembered me, and I was I was very surprised. And oh, I know Jim. Jimmy's a knockabout. Yeah, <laughs> he really is. Pete, just hold on there. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast when we come back after this. I'm going to ask you about your three Maury Cup winners. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the Tab app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton-trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019, it was Handle the Truth, and last year, It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. For any country trainer, there is no greater thrill than winning your hometown cup. You've won the Moree Cup three times and you've struck two Quinellas. Now, the first came in 1996 with a horse called Storm Boy, ridden by Andrew Spinks. He ran second in the same race with Diamond Walk, 
written by Kane St. Vincent. Yeah, John, that's correct. I, I, I was, it's, it's a memory, obviously, winning my first Moree Cup. Um, we'll, we'll never forget, but it was a, it was a strange day because it was one of those days I um, Kane rode Diamond Walk and he, he was a leader, Diamond Walk. Mm. But Kane, Kane decided to let him roll this day. And I, at the 600, I reckon he was eight in front of the second horse. Mm. And coming around the corners, as I thought, I thought, well, he probably can't keep going. But anyway, as they proceeded down the straight, he got with about 50 out and he was still in front by about a length. <laughs> anyway, he was like, it was getting closer, obviously. And I thought, I started to think we well, going to last. And then this thing come down out of the pack down the outside. And I thought, oh, yes, it was another one. <laughs> <laughs> Good feeling. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 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 So, and yeah, and, and Andrew Spinks, he rode a lot of winners for me back when he was based in Armadale. Andrew, Andrew, lovely fella, still yeah. riding today up in Brisbane. Yes, yeah, he we is. Had a, we had a lot, we had a lot of success. And yeah, that was, that was great. And actually, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Quinton was here that day because he had a, we had a horse um, called Astawaita for some local, mm. uh, local owners that we, he got going as a distance horse. And we actually sent him down to Ron to mm. train. And, and Ronnie won a winner's cup in Sydney with him. Goodness me! What was that horse? Uh, called Us the Waiter. Oh yeah, I yeah. remember. So, Us the Waiter, so Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie was Ronnie was obviously acquainted with a few of the Moree mm. owners and locals, so they invited him down for the meeting. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, that was nice to meet him. You had to wait a hell of a long time for your second Moree Cup, and it was another Quinella with Upstart and Free Billy in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, that was great, John. And I mean, how ironic to, to Quinella, your first one, and go so long and think you were never going to do it again, and um, to then get another Quinella and and um, Upstart. He was like amazing. He come he come with a bar on him for being non-competitive, Upstart. Mm. And um, we took him we took him to a barrier trial, and I wasn't happy with his with his trial mm. at at Crindai. And um, so I wanted to trial him again. And, and to his credit of Shane Cullen, I, I rang him up and I said, listen, I want to trial this horse but before I run him, and, but there's no trials. Can we have a trial at Mungandai once a year meeting? So he put one on. Mm. And Brookie Stower rode him and I said, just make him win the trial. And so she did. Mm. And then amazingly, I give him, I went to the races, thought he'd run all right his first start. Uh, then he, he won his first four, mm. um, including the Moree Cup. Oh yeah, he last raced in January. Where is he? Yeah, he he, he um, wrenched a fetlock, so we put him in the paddock. He's actually mm. just back now. Ah, oh, good stuff. And he'll win another yeah. one or two. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah he's amazing horse. Like I said he, you you gallop him and you think, geez, he probably win a maiden out the back of the picnic meeting somewhere. <laughs> but put him in a race and he just he yeah. just fights like he come back and won the Inverell Cup after a long layoff. Yeah. Well, your yeah. third Moree Cup was as recently as last year with Beacon, who started his life with the Godolphin Empire. Then he went to Toby Edmonds and then to you. Billy Cray rode him in the Moree Cup. He's an Englishman, isn't he? He is, Jack. Lovely fella, Billy, yeah. Mm. And um, very down-to-earth, hard-working fella. And um, Beacon, he's got a bit of, like, actually I was saying earlier about um, owners, um, Billy Owens, he, he... Retired up to the Gold Coast, they own a lot of property around Moree. His son's still here and works the farms. And he retired up to um, Gold Coast and he ended up with um, kidney failure. So he rang me up. He said, I'm bored. He said, I want a horse. Mm. He said, and I said, well, there's a triad sale on in a month's time. I'll come up. So I come up and he said, but I want to train it up the coast. So we went through it and we picked out Beacon. And I contacted Toby, would he train him? He said, not a problem. And so Billy bought him and he stayed up there for his first six or eight, ten months or something. Yeah, mate. And then, yeah. then progressed down to us. Mm. Well, Pete, you've already mentioned Upstart's win in the Inverell Cup. Your first Inverell Cup was way back in 1994 with Master Sam and the jockey you spoke very highly of earlier, Andrew Spinks. Now, that horse came to you from Brian Mayfield-Smith's Nebo Lodge Stables in Sydney, and you won a string of races with him. Yeah, he was a, he was a good horse. He was a funny old character. He used to bail up a bit when we first got him. Mm. Um, and again, an association with Morris Simsalza. He he owned he owned half of him. And and those days were great days, John, because you could actually go to those English sales mm. and you could buy those horses 
reasonably priced. Yep. Not now, yeah. mate. Oh, <laughs> well, not now, not now. And and I mean, and I, I still reckon like obviously prize money, but yeah. the upgrades of the roads and everything now, John. It's you know you can get mm. everywhere so easy and comfortable now with the roads and the vehicles. Oh yeah. And yeah, back then them fellas, Brian Mayfield Smith and them wouldn't venture out to it, you know no. anywhere past anywhere past the outskirts of the city. Yeah, and but, the um, advent of the Tab Highway, Peter, has made a hell of a difference too. Country oh. owners are trying to source highway horses. Oh, that and the country championships, John, you know. Mm. I mean, even even your, your local cups, you look at the Canamble and, and Coonabarabin Cups, you know, 70,000, you yeah. know. Like, yeah, like, like I, we went we went out and um, Free Billy won the Canamble, uh, the Coonabarabin Cup and mm. beat one of Gay Wardhouses. Goodness me, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've won a string of country cups, haven't you? I think Walgut, where else? Narrabri? Yeah, yeah, Walgut, Narrabri. Um, St. George, um, obviously we mentioned Inverell, Warrialder, Deepwater, uh, yeah, you know, a few. I'll give you one. Collar Enterbri. Yeah, Collar Enterbri won that a few times. And Nath, my son's actually won that one. <laughs> Good yeah, he, oh, yeah, right, he, Nathan, yeah. He, he beat one of our best mates, Kelly Smith, ran second to us. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Brooke Stower earlier. That's the way she pronounces her surname, isn't it? Yep. Brooke Stower, yep. She helped you out of a tight spot one day. She'd never ridden for you before. You were stuck and you gave her a ring. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I got. A, I, I was stuck for a jockey and I don't ring around and, and I just, they gave me a suggestion just to, to ring Brooke. So I rang Brooke. Mm. Uh, she was up in Toowoomba and she came out to Mungandai, which is, again, a once-a-year dirt track. Mm. Um, she had a few rides for me and she won on a, she won, um, on a horse for me. And, yeah, so I haven't looked back since. Best, no. Probably one of the best things I've ever done. Now, Brooke's just back from injury, isn't she? She's had a long layoff and has just commenced riding work again. Yeah, yeah, she did. She started riding work this week. I think she rides a fair few for Craig Martin over that way. And she said she had a – I was talking to her yesterday, actually, and she said she had a, a, cup, a gallop and a, and a jump out of the barriers and she's looking at starting at riding mm. end of August or the 1st of September. Good honour. Now, Jeff Snowden's been good for you. Wendy Peel's ridden a lot of winners for you, as has Belinda Hodder, uh, Yvette Lewis from Tamworth, Rachel Murray, who travels a million miles to ride racehorses, all super country jockeys who would hold their own in town at any time on the right horse. Oh, correct, John. And, I mean, you know, you could take them anywhere. If you give them, obviously, the the right horse to ride, they're as good as anyone. And mm. I mean Brooke Brooke proved that. I took Brooke to Sydney to ride Liberty Head in the in the highway. And mm. not a thing wrong riding as good as anyone would have. Yeah. There's little doubt your saddest day on a race course came in two thousand and seventeen when your great mate and very talented jockey Darren Jones lost his life in a race fall at Warrielda. I think the story goes, Pete, that he'd actually delayed a holiday to come to Warrialda to ride four horses for you at the meeting. It was um, a day that you'd much rather forget. Yes, John, I, I um, I, you know, I, I've had that much respect for Darren. I still do have, and um, he he pretty much go if you know anywhere for you to ride horses and. And he was the greatest fella because I've, I've always tried to be fair. Like, mm. honestly, most of the time, if you have four horses at a meeting, you're not going to have four favourites, you know. You're, a lot of times you've got just a horse in there that's, mm. you know, you're trying to see what they are or work them out and they're not going to go real good. And I always used to say, mm. if you get a better ride, you can ride that one. But if you're going to ride a slow one in the race, ride my slow one. And But he'd say, no. Nah, <laughs> I've, I've ride yeah. the whole four. That's good. Yeah. So, and he he travel anywhere for me, and and you know he, he obviously as I said, I I knew that he'd knock back sometimes better offers mm. to ride mine, and oh, yeah, yeah I, I had great admiration for him, and mm. it was it was I, that haunted me for a while because he he um he was not going to go to Warrialda. I rang him up and coached mm. him to go to Warrialda to ride for me, mm. and he said no. Nah. He said we've got a holiday planned, and I said no, nah, well, that's great. Thanks very much. Yeah. I'll work, work something out. So, and then about three hours later, he rang me back. He said, I had a yarn to share it. And he said, no, nah, we'll put it back a day and, oh, and yeah. go next day. Yeah. Yeah, a true so, mate. Uh, 
Yep. A true mate. I know you're keeping yep. in touch with his wife, Sheridan, and sons, Jacob and William, and they're doing very well, Pete, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Sheridan's, yeah, Sheridan's obviously still, you know, and, and as as we, we all are, mm. and Sheridan's family, you know, but um, Sheridan's got a very good Darren side of the family, and she's got that's like her own side of the family, but um, both Darren's side of the family are very good to Sheridan, I know that, and they still st- still keep in touch. Um, yeah, mm. and she she's, you know, going as good as could be expected. Mm. Before we talk about your son, Nathan, who is a fifth-generation trainer, I must say that son Jack, who's 26, and daughter Georgia, who's 23, haven't really inherited the racing genes of the Sinclair family. I know Georgia helps you out with book work and what have you, uh, but as far as hands-on association with the horses is concerned, she's not all that interested. Nathan, on the other hand, who's now 32, was born with spina bifida and he's had a lifelong struggle and he's handled it with great courage, with an amazing attitude and with great dignity. He loves the training business and he's happy to direct operations from a wheelchair. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's actually on, on crutches, John. He doesn't have mm. a wheelchair. He, he's on mm. crutches. But, yeah, just before we get to Nath, to touch on George and Jack, they both obviously had no choice in life. Early on, we just went horse riding from when they were first <laughs> able to get on a horse. And yeah. and um, they rode for years. Georgia, Georgia won, rib, like, uh, lady riders in Brisbane. And Jack was could hold his own wherever he went. And then the mm. EI hit. Mm. And we couldn't ride, so we didn't ride for two months. We turned the horses out, which is probably the first time we'd ever, they'd ever had a, a spell, proper spell, because we used to just religiously go somewhere every weekend. Yeah. With the with the ponies, mm. and at the well, after about eight weeks, they both come to me and said, "We don't want to ride anymore. Sell our horses." Uh, and mm. and um, so I said, "Okay," and I went out, and my mum was devastated because my mum loves it because my niece Jessica Town, she's been. Mm to the young Olympians, so as a show jumper. So, you know, my mum's, they're still very involved in it. My mm. mum was devastated when I told them they didn't have to ride again and we sold the ponies, but, mm. and Jack told me, Jack told me, he said, I, I've never liked it. And I said, well, you should have said something <laughs> 10 years ago. Oh, he wasn't game. <laughs> no, he wasn't game. So then he bought a motorbike and Georgia went, and Georgia went away for, um, Long distance running at state and yeah. and basketball, so they moved on and so that was great for them. But mm. and then yeah, with Nath, Nath, like he's been a credit. He's he um he's done everything you know in his life that, but, and especially when Jack come along, mm. he um anything that Jack and I do, Nath wanted to do. And yeah. I remember we used to go down when we lived out near my father's out just out of town and. Mm. There's the the Mihai River's only a few kilometres away from us, and we used to go down to this big paddock mm. of Johnny Hands and go fishing. It was all briar bushes, and there was one particular great fishing hole down there. But it was you had to be a goat to get up and down the hill. <laughs> and every time we went there, Jack and I, we'd sneak off because obviously I, I was worried about Nath. Yeah. Anyway, Nath put on a turn this day. And mm. back in them days, I was lucky. I had an old Telstra panel van, and it had a winch on the front of it. Mm. We got down the river, mm. and to his credit, Nate caught a big codfish, and we tried to, when we started to get out, so I was behind him and pushing him up by his backside up the hill, but we get about <laughs> halfway and come back down. <laughs> momentum, so, he had the momentum up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so anyway, so we, I decided, I got to the top and I come back, I put a bit of rope around his waist, put the winch on him and just winched him back up the hill. Damn, <laughs> 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 undignified, but... Very but successful operation. But he, but he was happy he caught his fish. But the same thing, we used to, when, when he was little, we used, he used to have calipers on his legs to help him walk. Yeah. And and we used to go back to the doctors in Newcastle once a month back in those. And um, they said to me, what do you do to these calipers? Every time they come, they have to re-straighten them or give him new ones. Mm. And I said, well, he rides motorbikes, horses, we go fishing. And they looked at me as if I was silly, and I said, well, he just does everything his younger brother does. Yeah. 2013, Peter, Nathan's kidneys began to shut down despite intensive dialysis, and a transplant became imperative. 
You gave your son the greatest gift of all when you donated one of your kidneys. Following a very careful compatibility assessment, you're eternally grateful that you had the opportunity to, to contribute to that life-changing surgery. Oh, John's so lucky, so fortunate to be able to do something like that in your life, you know. Like I, I, was, I was beside myself when I first started because obviously they put you through a lot of hoops and, and to, to be a donor and with all your blood tests and stuff like that because obviously in the younger day being a jockey, um, used to be back then, things weren't really that good. You used to do a lot of fluid pills and stuff like that to ride of yeah. a Saturday, and mm. I was I was terrified that they'd find that my kidneys weren't what they should be, mm. um, and that and and the second part was that I'm, I'm not a match because mm. obviously if not the further away you are from being a match is the more chance that Nathan's body will reject the kidney. Yeah. And so when we went there and done all the tests, they said everything was in good order, and mm. we were we were close enough that uh, to a match that they said we were like brothers. You ticked every box. Yeah, 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 and just so lucky and so so happy and so proud. Just and and I mean, I you know, we used to drive when he when he first started with the dialysis. Um, there was no chairs available in Moree, mm. um, so we used to drive the Tamworth three times a week, just oh, yeah. and just to do his dialysis. Yeah. And then, you know, a young fella like that. And it, and dialysis is a great thing. It, it is a great thing for someone to have and it's improved their their um, life from what it would have been before dialysis. I was imagine I've never seen that. But mm-hmm. um, because you see people after they come out of the dialysis that they get back to some normality for a couple of days mm. till they have it again. And it was – but, you know, to see a young person be there three times a week the rest of his life, it just restricts your life. So now, then he once he had the kidney, his life's still different because he's he's on a lot of tablets and anti yeah. rejection, and he's got still got to be careful. Yeah. You know? Oh, of but course. He, yeah. It, oh, it's a hundred times better than what it would have been. It's a lovely story, Pete. You know, you've had a couple of sensational days as a trainer at Moree, and not that long ago, in October two thousand and nineteen, you won five races in one day. That's your best ever, surely. Yes, yes, John. Yeah, yeah. That's the best I've ever done. And six weeks later, you, yeah, out of your twenty-horse team, you saddled up a dozen at a Moree meeting, and you finished with four wins and four placings. Now, if you add those all together, a five and a four, Brooke Stower rode seven of the nine winners. Yes. Yeah, as I said, I you know everyone everyone has their own niche with with jockeys and like Brooks, one of my niches. She just rides them so well, our horses, and she understands me and our horses, and you know she and and not not just my horses, but she's a very good rider. But mm-hmm. yeah, and and I was I was so happy because she told me that was the first time she ever rode four winners that first day. Yeah, ah, wonderful. Now. If Sheikh Mohammed himself told his Australian manager to ring you up and offer you untold riches to train 100 horses from the swishest stabling complex in the world, would your reply be instantaneous or would you need a little time to consider the proposal? I'd have to ask Jen, John. <laughs> Good on. <laughs> because I'd fear, I'd fear I might move on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I think you would too. You know, I imagine most bush trainers dream that by some freak of nature, a champion will walk into the stable. Now, do you dwell on that thought in your quiet times, or are you happy Every- to are you happy to do the best you can with what you've got? Oh, every day of my life, John, that's what gets me out of bed. I, I dream for the horses, um, you know, every day. That's what gets me out of bed every morning. Every every trainer wants a great horse. Uh, we've been fortunate to have some really good horses go through our through our hands. And I, I, people, I've been condemned many a time. People tell me I've, I'm silly da, and, and um, whatnot because if you – Give me a good horse, a really good horse. I'll give it a couple of runs, and I'll I'll take it 
I'll take it to Brisbane, I'll take it to Sydney, and the cab highways have changed things. Yeah. But realistically, if you're going to be fair to the owners and the horse, mm-hmm. I can't travel a horse from Moree to Brisbane and or Sydney every two weeks. Mm-hmm. It, it'll, it'll just wear the horse out. And, and I've been there and I've tried that in my early day, mm-hmm. and the first trip is really good, and Sydney Cab Highway showed that again last year in that I went the second time and my horses weren't as good. Peter, you've led me to my final comments in this podcast. You've got one thing that money can't buy. You have the respect of all who know you in northern New South Wales country racing. And it's a great pleasure for me to have you on our Supernova Sound podcast. Thanks for giving us so much time on a Sunday morning. John, I just want to reply to that is as in respect Half the respect I have from people is because of my father and grandfather. Good on you, Pete. Thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to classic legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes at Rosehill Gardens. Not long after, he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, GTRA ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 England Premier sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and GTRA get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th. 